Hi, this is Dr. Chuck McGathy from Madison's First Baptist Church. Our website is www.firstbaptistchurchofmadison.weebly.com. Please check out our website. Please be involved as you can with our church. We'd love to hear from you. So thank you for taking the effort to worship with us today. www.firstbaptistchurchofmadison.weebly.com. This message is entitled Endurance, and it comes from the gospel according to Luke, chapter 21, verses 5 through 19. I'm first reading from the New Revised Standard Version. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and dedicated to God, he said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. When they asked him, teacher, when will this be and what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And he said, beware that you are not led astray. For some will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be terrified, for these things must take place. But the end will not follow immediately. And he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and plagues, and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from the heavens. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance, for I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, by siblings, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your souls. The words I want to focus upon this morning come from the gospel according to Luke. The word gospel means good news, but this portion is at once comforting and controversial, comforting to the followers of Jesus, but contentious to those who hold ultimate faith in earthly institutions. Hear it again. I'm reading this time from the voice translation, which is, Scripture presented as drama. Some people were impressed with the temple's opulence, the precious stones and expensive decorations, but Jesus countered their observations. Jesus said, go ahead, look around, be impressed, but days are coming when one stone will not be left standing on another. Everything here will be demolished. The crowd responded, when will this happen, teacher? What signs will tell us this is about to occur? Jesus told them, be careful. It's easy to be deceived. Many people will come claiming to have my authority. They'll shout, I'm the one. The time is now. Don't take a step in their direction. You'll hear about wars and conflicts. 
But don't be frightened at all, because these things must surely come, although they don't signify the immediate coming of the end. You can count on this. Nation will attack nation, and kingdom will make war on kingdom. There will be disturbances around the world, from great earthquakes to famines to epidemics. Terrifying things will happen, and there will be shocking signs from heaven. But before any of this happens, they will capture you and persecute you. They'll send you to synagogues for trial and to prisons for punishment. And you'll stand before kings and government officials for the sake of my name. This will be your opportunity, your opportunity to tell your story. Make up your mind in advance not to plan your strategy for answering their questions. For when the time comes, I will give you the words to say, wise words which none of your adversaries will be able to answer or argue against. Your own parents, brothers, relatives, and friends will turn on you and turn you in. Some of you will be killed and all of you will be hated by everyone for the sake of my name. But whatever happens, not a single hair of your heads will be harmed. By enduring all these things, you will find not loss, but gain, not death, but authentic life. The Methodist website called Ministry Matters summarized the weekly Bible readings this way. A new heaven and a new earth, wars and persecutions, they don't seem to go together. These seemingly contradictory passages speak of endings and beginnings, the vision of what can and will be, times of trial, times of peace. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It is the contradiction we live with every day. We're caught between despair and hope, caught between people who tell us to be realistic in our vision of a better life. We're caught between those who believe the world is going to hell and those who see a different life, a better life, a life that can come to be, will come to be, if we only believe the promise of God and live into them. In the days following the terror attacks of September 11th, 2001, I tried to be observant of the changes that occurred in our nation. America was undoubtedly rattled to the core of her being. The last time New York City had been attacked by a foreign entity was when the British Army landed in wooden ships. Modern combat is a far cry from those days when the enemy was clearly identifiable by the red uniforms they wore. Terrorism is an uneven way of fighting in which the weaker opponent exploits the vulnerabilities of the stronger. This was clearly done on 9-11. America discovered that we were vulnerable. We felt that we were somehow immune from terrorism, and then we painfully learned that a handful of determined extremists could cripple our transportation system, severely damage our economy, and provoke us into elongated and economically damaging conflicts in two countries where the odds of victory, if that could even be defined, were long. It has been over 21 years since our world was changed so dramatically. Few among us would claim that the last two decades of the 20th century were stable, but they were a far sight more predictable than the first two decades of the 21st century. Even so, 
as challenging as this new century has been, it was nothing compared to what the first century Christians faced when the capital city, Jerusalem, fell to the conquering Roman army. For the Jewish people, this was a disaster with no equal. Their world, it seemed, had come to an end. Now I want to isolate onto an amazing man. His name was Jesus. He was a real person and made a real difference in the lives of those who listened to his message. We would do well today to do the same. He spoke to them ahead of the events that would shake their lives. Jesus was able to visualize the future for the capital of his homeland. Even though his followers were typical and that they were tremendously proud of the accomplishment of the Jewish nation in the construction of their magnificent temple, Jesus could see that it would not stand forever. Evil forces were massing for its destruction. The patience of the Roman Empire would eventually break and then explode against the stubborn spirit of the Jews. A bad moon was rising. The nation was on a collision course with a dark destiny that grew more and more imminent with each passing day. About these things Jesus spoke. I believe that he could see what was coming because he knew the hearts of men. The future was going to be a time of great challenge for his people. His disciples, he knew, needed to be prepared to face those days with confidence and hope. And so when they began to boast on the grandeur and seeming permanence of their temple, he injected a sobering warning. What happened to the Jewish homeland, to Jerusalem, to the temple, is now a matter of historical record. 37 years after Jesus spoke these words, Titus Flavius Vespanius marched his Roman legions into Jerusalem, desecrated, sacked, and then destroyed the temple. He set fire to the stones to crumble the structure so that quite literally, in fulfillment of Jesus' words, not one stone was left upon another. The terrified people who survived the war of annihilation were scattered. Some in desperate efforts to save their own skins betrayed even members of their own families to the Romans. The once proud society of priests and scribes worship at the temple and to people and a religion unified by pilgrimages to the holy city on feast days was destroyed. The Jews who survived scattered in what has become known as the diaspora. The Jews, however, would not disappear and Judaism would not end, but Jewish worship would adapt and modify in order to survive the disaster of the destruction of the temple. That was what lay ahead. Only a few short years away, Jesus gave his followers some tremendous counsel in anticipation and preparation of the coming trial. Amazingly, he assured them that they not only would survive the tribulation ahead, but that, that it would be their opportunity to witness. Yes, God was going to use the bad events that swirled around them as an opportunity to bear witness to others. God can still do that. Might we as people of the Christian way draw some comfort and challenge from this story? 
We, I hope, are not facing the same level of destruction as did the early Jewish Christians, but the fact that our institutions and society are changing is undeniable. When the level of heated rhetoric rises out of control and restraint, when the looming societal, economic, climatic, and religious clashes bode ill for the American experiment, and when the church designed for a culture that no longer exists seems to have lost its power, can the true believer in Jesus survive? The answer to that question is provided in this scripture. Jesus says, yes, in fact, this is your opportunity to witness. This is your time to live into my promises. You will endure. How, though, can we do that? The first thing we must do is refuse to fearfully hang on to the past. By this, I do not mean that our heritage is unimportant. It is. From the past, we draw our values and lessons for successful living. But no matter how much we may want to, we cannot recreate the past. No matter how great we might imagine it to have been, we cannot bring it back. The real and honest church of Jesus is going to look vastly different in the next 20 years than it looked in the last 20 years. A friend of mine and a keen observer of the church, Eddie Hammett, wrote a book on the future of the church. In it, he contrasts the values of a church that aspires to regain the past, what he calls the compliant church, with a church striving to adjust to a new reality, what he calls the creative church. He says some pretty tough and challenging things, too. For instance, he says that a compliant church focuses on historic constitution and bylaws. On the other hand, a creative church recognizes constitutions can and must be changed in order to allow for better, more relevant ministry. The compliant value doing things the way they've always been done, accompanied by the debate-ending phrase, we've never done it that way before. But a creative church understands that cultures change, people change, needs change, and structures and programs must change. In a compliant church, people work hard to keep everyone happy in the church family. A creative church, however, understands that some conflict is good and a few dissatisfied persons might be necessary in order to become more relevant and reach the community for Christ. Regarding leadership, the compliant church is more interested in preserving and maintaining the way things have always been done. A creative church moves forward into a new reality by focusing first on mission and ministry. Finally, and I think most importantly, a compliant church focuses primarily upon the preferences of the membership, but a creative church will always focus on the needs and preferences of those outside the church. The creative church is the church that will survive. The creative church is the one Jesus spoke of when he said there will be an opportunity to witness in the midst of great seismic change. Eddie adds, we're living in an age when pre and post conversion discipleship is critical. Today we are told that more than 70% of our population is considered unchurched. Let me say that a different way. About seven out of 10 people who live around us will not go to church today. 
My recent explorations into the youth in our area not only affirm this statistic, they exceed it. There are many, many around us who have no church but want to know God. And I believe we can help them. And you know what else? They can help us. We truly need each other to do God's will. We are a church that exists and endures in a troubled time and nation. But many are desperately looking for truth. Here again, the real Jesus can help us. The example of Jesus was to meet people where they are, not necessarily where we want them to be. It is increasingly critical that we look at the spiritual experience as a journey, not as a destination. Our task is to help everyone move step by step closer to Christ. That is our aim. That is our destiny. Are we as a church ready? Are you as an individual believer ready? These are critical questions to ask because if we are going to have an opportunity to express the real Jesus to a new generation, then we are going to have to do what the church has always done. We're going to have to think hard, love others, and change some of what we do. Now, please remember the church of Jesus has done this many times. Let me recount for you one of those turning points that absolutely saved untold thousands of churches in the Western world from going out of business. I know I've shared this story before, but please hear it one more time. It is so important that we learn this lesson from our church history. In July of 1780, something began that revolutionized churches. Robert Rakes a member of the Church of England, began a movement of something new. In his days, most established churches, church men and women, resisted and even feared change. What Rakes did was reach out to the outcast of the community and the rejects of the traditional church, the folks on the margins of the established religious world. Who were they? They were the ones who were broken by the world, undereducated, the generationally poor. Life for them was challenging. They could not see involvement with establishment religion as beneficial, and neither did they feel they were very welcomed into the church. Yet they were lonely for God all the same. Some Christians even contended that their misfortune was God's will and judgment. Rakes provided these marginalized ones the opportunity to learn by connecting them with the truths of Scripture. These sessions were derisively called by the Christians of his day, Rakes' Ragged Schools. But you know them best as Sunday Schools. Yes, Sunday School was scorned as a foolish concept by churches. Let me say that again so you'll remember it. Churches, the people who called themselves follower of Christ, were in the main against the concept of teaching impoverished children the Christian religion. But thank God, Robert Rakes kept on. He endured. He would not give up. 
1831, Sunday schools in Great Britain were teaching weekly one and a quarter million children, approximately 25% of the population. And what if Robert Rakes had thrown up his hands and said, change is too hard, and decided he needed to do things the way they'd always been done? He had a vision of a new thing. Thank God he did. Because he did, we have benefited from a great gift that resulted in both accessible Christian education and the birth of the public school movement. Now, let me ask you, do you think that same kind of creativity lies within us? I hope it does. I pray it does. During the isolation and sadness of the COVID pandemic, I took the opportunity to seek God out. I asked a deliberate prayer. It went something like this. God, what next? What are the steps we must take to live into the promises you have for us? The answer is for me coming into focus. There are some principles that guide me and may help you. I believe there are five of them. Listen to God. Learn from God. Meet with others. Encourage others. And finally, give yourself away. Let me focus on the last of these. Give yourself away. So let me tell you what that means and why it is so important to our witness now and in the future. When you commit to a disciplined Christian life, you are saying in part, I will seek ways to invest my time, my money, skills, and passions in others. The great paradox of the life and ministry of Jesus was that in losing his life, he gained it. In humbling himself, he was lifted up, and in giving, he received. We strive to follow the way of Jesus by giving to neighbors, strangers, and even other communities to serve them and grow the kingdom of God. That is honest, genuine, real Christian living. Anything else falls short of what Jesus described as discipleship. This kind of Christianity is described over and over again in the New Testament. The followers of Jesus changed the world because their witness was so powerful. Listen again to what they heard and acted upon. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus said, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever will be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. In John's gospel, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And Luke, he says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It would seem then that if we let Jesus guide us, we will want to speak a word of hope to people living in fear and anxiety and doubt. This is our moment. The church that follows Jesus Christ is prepared to meet and address the challenges of this hour. 
phony, self-righteous, hypocritical Christianity will not last. The miserable, greedy, and hate-filled religionists will crumble under the weight of self-told lies. Genuine Christian people, those whom the spirit of Christ lies within, will endure just as his church endured in the societal upheavals of the past. Stay faithful. Be good followers of Jesus. Endure, endure, endure. Be confident in the gospel. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, when we are facing uncertain days, remind us that this is our opportunity to provide a calming voice of hope. Give us the right words and spirits as we engage our neighbors with the truth that in you we have life and purpose and a joy that cannot be robbed by circumstances. Help us to be faithful disciples who care about our witness, believe in our church, and care enough to touch other lives with the message you have given us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank uh you. -huh.